Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. We're going to talk about liberty today, which is what the Kingdom of God is really all about, but it depends on how you define liberty. And that was a part of a recent discussion this week that uh, started out where somebody was talking about voting and constitutions and different kinds of governments and we're an international group because the church is for the whole world. It's in the world, but it's not of the world. But we deal a lot in governments because governments have a great deal to do with uh, how we govern ourselves because we establish governments. God doesn't establish governments. We establish governments. We establish governments according to the nature of our own spirit and our own hearts. And the kind of governments we get is the kind of governments we deserve collectively as a people. But not everybody wants to be a part of the world that is creating those governments. They want to be a part of Christ's world. And Christ's world was not of the world of men like Pontius Pilate, which is what he said to Pontius Pilate. My kingdom's not of this world. And what he was talking about at that time... Looking at the Greek, we know that there are five different words translated into the single English word world. And so you want to know which one Jesus was using to know what he was really talking about. And if you translate five different Greek words into the same English word, you're going to miss something. That's just all there is to it. You're just going to miss something. And what you're going to miss is that that word means constitutional order or system of government. According to theirs, that's what it means. It comes from a word, kamizo, which means take care of. And governments that take care of you, like Thomas Jefferson says, a government that can give you everything you want can also take away everything that you can have. Governments that provide benefits can grow in power. The more you look to government, the more you will suffer tyranny. That was a common statement at the time of early America. They knew that we could not depend on governments. In other words, these institutions that we create to provide our needs. And, of course, back then they were talking about just general defense. But today we talk about almost every aspect of life. All our social welfare systems are run through the government. Very few are run through private means in uh, individuals. It used to be in the early days of America that your entire social welfare was taken care of by your church. Today your church takes care of almost no social welfare whatsoever. Yet it's still demanding tithes. Well, back in the days of Christ, the church took care of all the social welfare of Christians. And as a matter of fact, if there was a social welfare program in that particular government in which Christians lived... They usually disassociated themselves with it and did not give in to it. And because of what Christ did, the salvation of Christ, they were able to do that legally anywhere in the Roman Empire, which was the center of such systems. They called those systems Corbin, Q-O-R-B-A-N in Rome. They called it C-O-R-B-A-N. 
B-A-N in Israel, which is very interesting because in ancient Hebrew, the word korban meant sacrifice. At the time of Christ, it still meant sacrifice, but it was also the way in which you designated what you gave to the temple to take care of the social welfare of the people. It was their social security system of that day or social insurance system of that day. It was Corbin. You gave in. But the problem was Herod had set up such a system whereby you had to give in once you signed up according to statutory designations. You make this much, you had to pay in this much. And they were guys out there who were called tax collectors who were making sure that you paid in the right amount. Does your master pay the tax? And of course, Peter said yes, but Peter was wrong, but Christ paid it anyway because of the fact that uh, Peter uh, had said it out loud. And so therefore, rather than give the appearance of evil, give the appearance of some sort of tax protester or something, Jesus said, no, let's pay it because you said it. And that's how important it is to honor your word. You make your yes, yes, and your no, no. You see, this registration, it began much earlier. Rome was registering people at the time of Jesus' birth. That's why his parents went to Bethlehem uh, to be registered. But they fled because of this danger of being assassinated. And others were assassinated uh, instead. But uh, Jesus and uh, Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt, stayed in Egypt until it was safe to come back. Evidently, uh, there was other things going on at the time, and uh, it ended up, it appears that uh, John the Baptist also fled out into the desert and lived with the Essenes and was raised by them. But these are all part of the Apocrypha of the Bible. But it's certainly clear that John the Baptist was out there in the desert preaching something very different. He was getting baptized uh, and baptizing people just like Herod had been baptized. A lot of people didn't know that Herod was baptizing people into what he called the kingdom of God. And that was a part of his registration. And when you were registered with him, you would get a little ID stone with a Hebrew name on it, which has a numerical value because all the letters in Hebrew have numerical values. And that Hebrew name would uh, be shown and registered at the different synagogues and in the temple so that if you got blinded or injured or anything, they would take care of the social welfare. The problem with Herod's system was that he was going to force you to contribute once you signed up. You were you were registered. You had made a commitment. You were now in the system. You had made a choice. And you couldn't just get out of that because there was debt. It was a great deal of debt. Now, they had built these temples now with the money that was flowing into the coffers of Herod. There had been no golden temples like Herod before him uh, since the days of Solomon, really, although they had been times when they were rebuilding the temples and the people wept who remembered the old way because the old way did not involve temples of dead stones and glittery gold. The old system involved temples made with living stones. And this we explain in the book, The Kingdom Comes, how that worked back in the days of Abraham, back in the days of Moses, and how it worked in the early church. The modern church doesn't do things that way. 
What they do when you have a need, they don't provide that out of faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. They say, go to the men who call themselves benefactors, the princes of other nations, the governments in other countries, uh, whatever country you happen to live in, you go to uh, the United States Social Security Administration or you go to the Canadian uh, Social Insurance uh, Program and show them your social insurance number, your SIN number, and... uh, or you go to, in Haiti or, or Santa Domingo, you might go and show them your Seshala, which is your little card. And you say, I need benefits because I've got this problem. And they take care of you. And they do a pretty good job of it as a whole. I mean, there's certainly, we're seeing more and more signs as this system is bankrupt and, and thieves and robbers have busted in and stole money away and, and all this stuff. Just like it was happening in the days of Jesus Christ. Uh, we see these people uh, going there and getting benefits. And they get those benefits. And they should get those benefits. But the men who are giving them those benefits are men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. And Jesus said to the Christians, to the apostles, it wasn't to be that way with you. And with the early church, it wasn't that way. They went to church when they needed something. This is a huge, huge difference from what people are used to and what people are thinking they're supposed to be doing in their churches. They think that they are raising their hands to God when they put their hands over their head and they shake them and they sing. But their their sleeves aren't rolled up to work. Now, I know some of you, many of you out there who listen to us on a regular basis, you're starting to roll up your sleeves. And because of that, God is going to hear your prayers. And he will give you back that liberty under God, that liberty under Christ that was given to the early church. But there is a price to pay because of recompense. Christ paid the price so that you have a church to go to. Your ministers are not maintaining an entrance. As a matter of fact, most of the ministers of modern churches have delivered you back into the bondage of Egypt, have taken you back into the ways of the world, back into the ways of the Pharisees, and said, oh, you just have to say these words, these magic words that you accept Jesus, and boom, you're saved. But the reality is, you're not accepting the real Jesus. You're accepting a fake Jesus, a fraudulent Jesus, a false Jesus, a Jesus that was not the real Jesus who was out there telling you that you were to love one another, not covet your neighbor's goods. I can't believe that I was talking to a pastor, and he's actually a pretty good guy, but he's been so brainwashed by this false religion, these damnable heresies that have crept in, that when I was saying... When Jesus was asked, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus says, thou knowest the commandments, keep them. And that would include not coveting your neighbor's goods. Now, of course, this pastor doesn't kill people. He doesn't murder people. Now, he may pay into a government that kills and murders people. We just heard on the news report not too long ago about uh, an uh, ambassador who was killed in a foreign country. Most people don't even know where the the country is or the town. (laughs) It's it's amazing. Uh, But it was over in Libya. And uh, the administration that had sent him there said, oh, it was this spontaneous uh, 
demonstration because somebody had written a book or a movie or something somewhere. And completely fraudulent. The guy was over there trying to get back armaments and stuff that they had given to these rebels. And, and they just murdered him. They just murdered him. That's what, all there is to it. And the government evidently lied. And now people are coming forward and saying that they lied. Well, it's not the only lie that you're going to get. It wasn't the only lie that there was around the days of Jesus Christ when you have these central governments that have authority. People start to lie. Saul lied. Uh, Rehoboam lied. These people lie. And that's the way it is. And you deserve the lies you get. Because you've looked to them for benefits. You sold your birthright for these benefits. So anyway, the point is, is that that's what was going on at the time of Christ, is that people were selling themselves into bondage, just like they did in Egypt, to have their government take care of them at the expense of their neighbor. Because those benefactors, they don't take money out of their pocket. They take money out of your neighbor's pocket. So every time you want a benefit, you want a better school, you want a better uh, health care system, if you're going to do it through systems that compel the offerings of the people, you are sinning against God. You are violating the Ten Commandments. I can't say it any clearer. You're a sinner, and you're going on sinning. And those who love Christ... Keep the commandments. Keep His commandments. It is not love to send somebody to your neighbor's house and force him to provide an education for your child. It is not love to send somebody to your neighbor's house with a gun and force him to take care of your needs. That is perfectly accepted in the world. The world has done that all the time. And that's fine because the world needs that. The world meaning the constitutional orders or systems of government. They need that. Because they're full of slothful, selfish people who should be under tribute, who should be under totalitarian rulers because they don't listen to God and God is not their father and Christ is not their brother. That's the way it is. Now, that's hard. I mean, I am giving you both barrels. You might as well accept it. You're a sinner. You're not saved. You're lost. You need to repent. And I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness to repent. Make straight the way of the Lord. You need to do that. You need to start turning around. Now, that turning around is a big deal. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What that turning around looks like. How you do that. Now, recently somebody wrote me and asked me and asked a number of other people about uh, voting and constitutions and everything. And we've... Long time ago, we wrote a book, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions. Now, we know in the Bible it said in the Old Testament, you were to make no covenants with them nor with their gods. And we explain all that in the books, uh, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions. We talk about the U.S. Constitution because I happen to be born in America, raised in America, and that Constitution was been around here for almost 200 years. It's changed. It's morphed. Our relationship to that government has changed. And we talk about that in the book. You can read the book free online. But somebody was asking about these things. And uh, I sent them off the link to read the book, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitution, on our website at hisholychurch.org. And he looked at it and he said it was a... Uh, Really a great book and everything. He didn't have any problem with the book. He said, but there was one flaw. He says, I see one flaw. And that is there is no clear definition of liberty. In order to properly define it, 
you have to, and I will skip his uh, crass language here, uh, tick people off. Uh, a lot of people off. And, of course, uh, I sent him back a little note pointing out in the, in the book, in part 8, uh, the cha- uh, chapter on charters and oaths, recalling liberty under God, we define liberty. And he wrote back that he thought that uh, that we had taken too long. Why on earth would you put it so far down? Liberty and justice should be the very first thing addressed. Generally, when I see freedom defined and uh, lots of blah, 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 that's the way he writes, attached to it, I lose interest pretty quick with false freedom taking uh, precedence. Well, what I wrote back to him uh, in response, and of course this was in a fairly large group of people that were reading this, that uh, there was a certain need for uh, patience. Uh, I said, uh, let's see if I can find it here, so I quote myself. Basically, uh, people who do not have the patience to read all the way down do not have the patience uh, for liberty. Because liberty takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of self-sacrifice. It's not free. This is why Christ talks about things like uh, liberty under God being something that you have to seek, that you have to strive for, that you have to work at. And that's just the way it is. You have to make an effort. You have to uh, strive. You have to uh, do the will of God. You can't just say, Lord, Lord. You have to do it the will of the Father. For instance, a lot of people think that, uh, oh, well, Jesus saved us. What makes you think you're a part of the us talked about in Galatians when we hear Paul talking about us? Your church doesn't look anything like the church he was going to. Your church doesn't do any of the things that his churches and the churches of the first century were doing. You don't take care of the social welfare of the people in your community. And I actually was on a first century church group that was supposedly studying first century church. And I pointed this out. And and I did it very patiently. I'm I'm being very forthright here today. But you need to hear this. You're running out of time, folks. Stop sitting around in your pews. Start waking up. Let's not waste any more time. You don't have time to waste. I can assure you. I don't know how much time you have. Everybody, I mean, you could be worried about the end of the world and what, at the end of the the year or something. Or I'm not going to name dates because there's all kinds of dates floating around. You could be hit by a truck six months before the end of the world. <laughs> you have a limited amount of time and God has given it to you and you should not be wasting it. Just like the talent that was folded up in the napkin. He wasted it. He didn't do anything with it. God is a doer. If you have God in your heart, you should be a doer. Don't give it, don't, don't listen to those Satanists who say, oh, there's nothing you have to do. Christ did it all. All you have to do is believe in Christ and, and you're just automatically saved. Don't look behind the curtain. Don't look at what he actually said to do. Don't be a doer of the word. Don't forgive your neighbor. You don't have to do that. Just believe in Jesus. But Jesus said, if you don't forgive, neither will my Father forgive you. Jesus said that. So you're not us if you're not forgiving your neighbor. Okay, now you say, well, uh, I don't have anything against my neighbor. I'm, I'm not going to be angry with my neighbor. 
uh, uh, he's a he's kind of a jerk, but you know I, I forgive him. Uh, but I'm not going to talk to him anymore. I'm just going to stay over here in my house. But you don't have to talk to him to not forgive him, because you didn't forgive him. Because if he don't pay the taxes to pay for your child's free education, if he doesn't pay the taxes that uh, uh, provide you with health care, if he doesn't pay the taxes that provide you with all those benefits from those benefactors who exercise authority, men will come to his house and take his house away from him. They will throw him in jail. They will, they will find him and find him and find him to make sure that he is scared to death not to pay in to your social welfare. And why? Because you won't forgive him. If he doesn't pay in, you won't forgive him. You don't have to know or see or do anything, but you're not forgiving him because your ministers that come from your government, whether you're in England or Australia or Santa Domingo, your ministers aren't going to forgive him. They're going to beat him up. They're going to take everything he has. And that's that's what you that's how you're living. That's how you provide for yourself. Now you may be working now, but when you need your social welfare, when you finally get to that point where you need social welfare, you'll have men out there doing that for you and say, "Well, I don't want them to do that. I want them to be fair about it, and I want them." But what you really want is your benefits. Now I know there's some good people out there who would not want to see this, and they're outraged when they see it. And unfortunately, they don't know what to do because nobody's out there preaching the gospel and how the gospel of the kingdom works. Now, I say nobody. I know there are some. I mean, we recently had a little festival gathering here. We have one every uh, fall. Uh, We're probably going to have them on Labor Day in the future in order to get the best weather we can, although you can get some cold weather up here in the high deserts, even in uh, uh, Labor Day. Because if a front comes in, it can get chilly. And it can get windy. It was windy last night, when, or yesterday evening, when I was taking down the last yurt that we had up to help people meet in. But hopefully we'll build more and more facilities out here in the desert so that uh, you city folks and you southerners don't get too chilled in the high desert nights. Because we can have 80-degree uh, weather in the daytime and 40-degree weather in the evening. <laughs> Because it's high desert. But I can't help it. John the Baptist went to the desert. There was a voice crying in the wilderness. And God's put me out in the desert. So you're just going to have to tough it. It keeps the riffraff out. That's what we call it. If you, if you can't take a little wind and cold and a little uh, hike to the uh, uh, Kumbaya station, uh, you know, which is what we call our comfort station, our little outhouse up there on the hill, uh, which isn't really a big hike. It's a little short distance. And we'll put more on when we get bigger and bigger crowds. But it's very nice, very comfortable, a very clean uh, deal that we provided uh, for everybody. So it's not too much of a culture shock coming out here when we have gatherings out here. But the fact is, the shock that you're going to have more than any other shock is that you're not and have not been seeking the kingdom. That your churches are full of damnable heresies that they're out there trying to elect uh, the Rehoboams and the uh, Absalons. And uh, a few of you might even be wanting to elect a King David, but uh, you've gone the absolute opposite way that Christ said to go. And we're going to talk about how to get back to the righteous ways of Christ. 
when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, hopefully, we'll give you some idea. My name is Mark and I'm from Melbourne in Australia and I'm a minister in the church established by Jesus Christ more than 2,000 years ago. After reading the books published at hisholychurch.org I realised that mainstream Christianity had taken a wrong turn by forgetting what Jesus said to do, to practice pure religion while remaining unspotted from the world. What does this mean and how is this done exactly? You'll find out when you go to hisholychurch.org and discover what it truly means to be in the world but not of it and what it means perhaps for the first time to truly love God and your neighbour as much as yourself. The Kingdom of God is at hand. Join the Living Network at hisholychurch.org I'm Brother Justice and I'm a minister of His Holy Church of Sacramento, California. His Holy Church is a powerful weapon in the hands of God. The books, The Covenants of the Gods and Thy Kingdom Come has changed the course of my life forever. For those of you who are truly looking for the way I encourage you to look to His Holy Church at www.hisholychurch.org. May the good Lord bless you and keep you. If we want our God-given unalienable rights back, we must stop exercising dominion over our neighbors. Start keeping the commandments. Do not covet. Do not steal. Which includes the legalized covetousness and plunder that is mandatory in all man-made governments. Start by coming together in free will assemblies of individuals and families that are seeking to return to God's kingdom government. Families and individuals start by seeking, striving, and working to be the departments of health, education, welfare, economy, defense, agriculture, energy, and justice for other families in the free assembly, but also for other families of families near and far. The Creator is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. His kingdom was, is, and will be forever on earth as it is in heaven. Start by connecting and finding other kingdom-seeking families on the His Holy Church Living Network. Visit www.hisholychurch.org to start your journey back to your unalienable birthright.
So, we're back to Kings of the Kingdom, and we're talking about the way the early church was operating and how it was organized. It's a common theme here. We're also talking about liberty and what liberty under God really means, what it looks like, how liberty under God, under Christ, you know, the liberty that Christ has set us free, set us free from what? Set us free from sin. We no longer have to covet our neighbor's goods through the agents of men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. How come? Because we're not slothful in the ways of Christ. How come? Because we're diligent. You know, when it says study to show thyself approved, that word study in the Greek text, that word that we see translated into study is never, ever translated anywhere else in the Bible. Study. Now, it could mean study. But the way it's translated everywhere else is diligent. Be diligent to show thyself approved. Diligent in what? Diligent in the ways of Christ. Not just saying you believe. Not just saying, Lord, Lord, but actually doing. Now, you're not going to earn salvation because you do. God's never going to owe you salvation. You can't do enough. It's impossible for you to do enough. You've already wasted part of what God has given you, so therefore you can never get that back. Because everything that you have is given to you by God, and you've already wasted it. You've already sinned. There's no way that you can pay back what you owe. So, you will be saved by grace. But Christ didn't come and just say, sit around and we'll save you by grace. He said, become doers. Strive. Seek. And so that's what we're going to do is we're going to show you where to look. How to look for what you're supposed to be looking for. And what you're supposed to be doing. And what you're supposed to be striving for. Because it doesn't look like what you got now. What it looks like you got now is the bondage of Egypt, which you are to never return to. But you have. And you have created governments either through apathy or through outright following and whoring after the wrong things. Which they talk about in the Bible and which we explain in all the books and articles. But anyway, let's go back to this fellow that we were talking about uh, who was asking these questions and uh, see what uh, he was uh, further looking to when he was looking at this and he was pleased with the definition he just didn't think that I should uh, put it first and of course the foundation is Christ and we already know that Christ said we were to love our neighbors as ourselves which encompasses most of the commandments you're not going to be stealing from somebody you love you're not going to be murdering somebody you love you're not going to be coveting the goods of somebody you love you're going to be Blessing them and giving them and encouraging them. Giving them in a way that strengthens them and makes them independent and free. And so therefore you're going to be forgiving their debts. And uh, you know that when the uh, the unjust uh, servant who was commended, who didn't beat those that he was to be in charge of. He didn't beat them and force them to contribute. He said, oh, what do you owe? Well, I owe more than I can pay. He says, well, what can you pay? I can pay this much. We'll pay that and I'll forgive the rest. And that's the nature of Christ. Is that the nature of the government that you have? Not usually. Now, actually, that, that does exist to some degree. But once you pay that debt, you, you have another day and another day. And you may have more debts that you have to pay. And that's the way it was in the kingdom of God under Moses. You had to pay in. You had to, to give 
You know, there was 10% that was given to your minister. And he worked full time at keeping you together. That was called tithing. People say that's been done away with. Well, it's only done away with because you've got ministers who exercise authority. That's a lot more than 10%. you got ministers that teach your children. you got ministers that provide social welfare. you got ministers who do all sorts of things for you. You call that government. Well, that's what Christ was preaching. You're the government of God, the kingdom of God, the way of God. And that requires that people come together and work in a free society without forcing their neighbors to contribute, but helping one another. Now, do you do that? Are you a part of such a society? Well, that's the beautiful thing about seeking the kingdom is you don't have to jump into it all at once. You start moving towards it. Now, I know over the years I run across a lot of guys who say, oh, well, we're in the kingdom because we're out of the system of the world. You know, they, <clears throat> they're they really uh, they're really kind of tax protesters. And they, they say that they've gotten out of the system and they're free because they believe in Jesus. Well, that's witchcraft. That's ridiculous. Are you doing what Jesus said? Are you taking care of one another? Are you gathering together? Are you, or are you forsaking the gathering together? Are you just, everybody run for it, you're free kind of attitude? Well, that's what a lot of them have, but they, they're very justified because they look at the world and they see how wicked the world is, how cruel it is, how unjust it is, and they don't look at the fact that they're not doing what Christ said to do. Love is an active verb. It requires that you actually do something. Are you gathering together in your community and taking care of the truly needy of your society? I'm not talking about every drug addict and and uh, wasted, selfish, lazy bum that's out there on the street who's just looking for a free handout because he doesn't want to work or help anybody else. Now, he may repent, and we'd certainly love to help him if he repents. But if he isn't going to repent, we're not supposed to make him comfortable in a sin. We're not supposed to make sinning a comfortable thing. That's what most governments are in the business of. They're making coveting your neighbor's goods a comfortable thing. Yeah, you have to pay in, but it's pretty comfortable because you got this social welfare that will take care of you. You don't even need your family anymore, much less your community. You don't need the neighbor next door. He can be a jerk and you can say you forgive him and not talk to him at all. But you're not you're not doing what Christ said. You're you're not really loving your neighbor. You don't have to have anything to do with them because you've got government. Now, I'm not preaching against government. You need that government. If that government were to suddenly disappear overnight, say some gigantic uh, uh, electromagnetic pulse came and knocked out all the power all over the country or all over the world, uh, nuclear war, whatever it was, and suddenly the government wasn't there on your street. They, you know, like in, what was it, Katrina, the police couldn't handle the emergency. They were all over the place trying to, but there just wasn't enough of them. So people just sat in their homes and they started finding out nobody was coming. So if government was gone, it'd be total chaos. Governments are there to punish the wicked. Who are the wicked? It's all the ones who want to covet their neighbor's goods, which makes government bigger and bigger. Which, again, was the philosophy understood 
by many of what we call forefathers here in the United States, in America, you know, long before the United States, people were saying, as long as you look to government to solve your problems, you will always suffer tyranny. They said that. They knew that. People don't know that. But they're all looking for some leader. They're going to elect, a, what is it, Obama or Romney or, I don't care, you know, if it's even Ronald Reagan or Ron Paul. They're not going to solve all the problems because the problems don't begin in government. They begin with the people because they're slothful. You can't really change who's going to be president of the United States or president of the United Nations. You as an individual can't do that. You can try. Go ahead. I mean, how's that working out for you? As the guy says. But what you can change is your relationship to them. And you can seek out others that are willing to change their relationship to them. Now, I looked at a little video made the other day by uh, Brother Justice, who's out here working and been preparing for meetings and, and may stay on to work and prepare for other things. Uh, and he, we saw a sheep that was out away from all the other sheep, a couple of them actually. And what had happened was the... Uh, because we had a new uh, dairy cow that needed milking, somebody let the sheep out kind of early thinking they'd be okay. Well, there was still some bobcats wandering around in the field, and one of them took off after one of the sheep and bit it up really good. And it would, could hardly walk. It was so, uh, you know, those bobcats could crush a skull, and it probably chipped some bone in the hip or something. But anyway, the sheep was still alive, but not moving very fast, and two sheep stayed back with it. Uh, they could have gone on with the rest of the herd, but they stayed back with that sheep. They had stayed together, even under the attack of the bobcat. Unfortunately, we came up, and the bobcat disappeared up the mountain. But uh, uh, So the sheep lived. And for the next couple of days, those at least one of those sheep was with that other sheep all the time. Even though it couldn't keep up with the herd, they stayed with it until it got better. And now it's staying with the herd pretty well. But it got... It got bit pretty good. Those bobcats are powerful animals. But they stayed together. And that's what these sheep on the range, these are range sheep. These are not farm flocks. They roam over a large area and they roam often by themselves. We're not always right there. But they know enough to stay together and take care of one another. And this is why sheep and shepherds are mentioned so much in the Bible, the good shepherd, because... They're not talking about farm flocks that are used to being fenced in and having everything done for them. They're, we're talking range sheep that are out there where bobcats and mountain lions and coyotes wander. And they have to learn to stay together. And uh, they're very independent, but they keep track of each other. And we showed people that were out here camping during this uh, latest fall festival, the, what we call the Burning Bush Festival. Uh, it's We don't burn a bush or anything at the festival, but... Uh, uh, we're the flame that does not consume because we don't consume each other. We don't burn up mankind. <laughs> we don't eat out your substance. We live by faith, hope, and charity. And so that's kind of the theme of the Burning Bush Festival. Really, it's about fellowship and getting together and, and sharing with each other what we've learned during the year. But anyway, uh, you can find more about that at burningbushfestival.org uh, on the web. And uh, you can also find links to it at our website at hisholychurch.org. But what you need to do is learn the lessons that those sheep were teaching and the Good Shepherd was teaching is not forsake the gathering together, to work together. Because a, a sheep out there on, on the open desert range out here is dead. 
It's not going to last. It's going to be eaten up by uh, something. Because <laughs> there's lots of meat eaters wandering around here. And uh, sheep is fair game. So that's a really a bad idea. And it's not very kingdom-like. So they've learned to come together. But in that, uh, back to that individual we were talking about who was asking about contracts, uh, covenants, and constitutions, the book, and why we put the definition of liberty so far down in the book. It's simply because liberty is the roof, the covering of the kingdom, of those people seeking the kingdom and the righteousness of God. That's what we're supposed to be seeking, seeking the kingdom of God, the right to be ruled by God. And His righteousness. If you don't have His righteousness, you don't get His salvation. That's it. Now, you won't be righteous. You'll still be imperfect. But you have to be seeking it. You have to be striving. You have to be looking. You have to be trying to be righteous. That's not just blah, blah, blah. That's that's how it works. So, if you're not doing that, don't expect the results. Because... You keep doing what they did to go into bondage. You're going to keep going into bondage. You're not going to be set free from your sin. You're going to continue to sin. And you're not doing the will of the Father. And you are not forgiving. And so, therefore, you are not saved. And you need to know that. I know you want to think you're saved. And if you hear what we're saying about what you should be doing in your churches... Maybe you are saved. And God has sent you a messenger to tell you so that you will wake up and turn around and change. You see, when uh, Constantine was turning the whole world into his so-called Christians, he didn't say repent and get baptized. He just said get baptized. He said believe in Jesus. That's what his message was. Believe in the kingdom of God and the Christianity. The believe in Christ. He was still going out murdering people. 10,000 out of shot sometimes. But he was doing it in the name of Christ. So I guess it was okay. No, it wasn't okay. It was bad. And this is the birth of the unrighteous church. The false church. The damnable heresies. They weren't creeping anymore. They were coming in with a whole army. And you had to become a Christian. You had to get baptized. And if you didn't, men like Ambrose were saying, let's persecute those who don't get baptized. Nobody talked about repentance. The message was to repent and get baptized. To seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. And it isn't righteous to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. What agreements do you have with these unbelievers? You've got lots of them today. Paul asked that way back then. you got lots of those agreements today with those unbelievers who believe that it's okay to force your neighbor. And that's why everywhere you go, everywhere in the world, you're seeing nations moving more and more in a progressive line of socialism, which will lead to communism, which will lead to totalitarian dictatorships, which will lead to mass murder. On unprecedented scales of millions upon millions of people, just like we've seen already in this last century. We're going to see it in this century. We have sown the wind and we will reap the whirlwind. But you can still repent. You can turn around. You can start gathering together. And we have ways to do that. At hisholychurch.org, go on there and click on the guy up there at the top that has the little net that he's throwing out. Try to find others. Now, is everybody in our network really seeking the kingdom? No. You're going to have to use some God-given discretion. 
you're going to, if you're beginning to hear what we have to say, it's because God has already opened your eyes to hear it in your ears, to hear it, to see it. He wants you to understand and you are willing to understand a little bit and you're saying, oh my gosh, this makes sense. And what he's saying, you know, I knew that. This is the kind of reactions we get from people who are really starting to wake up. But you have to persevere until the end. You can't just say, oh yeah, that's cool. I'll just go back and do my same old, same old. You have to change. You have to do it different. You can't keep doing it the same way. You got to do it different. You got to repent. You got to turn around. That's what repent means and go the other way. What's the other way? Start learning how to provide those benefits for yourself and for your neighbor because you got to love your neighbor. Can't just do it for yourself. And you got to do it through faith, hope, and charity. That means you're going to start having to cast your bread upon the waters. There are lots of lost sheep out there. When sheep are lost, do they go and hide under the bushes? Well, they want to keep a low profile because they don't want to draw attention. But they somebody's got to stick their head up and go, bah! Otherwise, the others won't find them. And you'll see this when they one group is starting to move back and come back. We have a little pen that we can put them in at night with a little fold. And uh, they come in on their own. They know. <laughs> We're not staying out here in the dark. You know, because this place is just crawling with uh, bobcats and coyotes at night. So they all start heading back when that sun starts going down. They'll cross, you know, a couple miles to get back to the sheepfold. But they'll be back there usually before dark. Now, we've had a couple staying out all night. We find them outside the fence. They're not staying with the herd. And the reason why is we've let... We have one buck that we were given a long time ago. Actually, we purchased it, but it was a, a black-faced buck. It's a, it's a suffix buck. Uh, and it's, uh, actually it's got a little hamp in it too, but hamp and suffix are farm flocks. For generation after generation after generation, they have, uh, lived in fenced fields, just like the Israelites in Egypt lived in fenced fields. And they don't know how to live on the range. They don't have that gregarious nature of sticking together. And you don't tie sheep together. They have to want to stay together. And so they're always wandering off. And Justice, who's been seeing these sheep and learning the lessons of the sheep uh, when we go out there, he, he notices it. it's those black-faced ones, those little lambs, the black-faced lambs that we had this year. They're not staying with the herd. And they'll actually draw others away from the herd. Now, they've seen, several of the people have noticed when the sheep come down into the field, in the morning after they're let out of the fold they come down to the field and you'll see little groups of 7, 8, 9, 10 and that's the way it is that's the way it works but there's a whole flock that stays pretty much together but these black faces are constantly leading off little groups little 10 men or 10 uh, sheep groups away from the rest of the flock and trying to create their own little flock they want a little company but they don't. they don't care about the whole flock absolutely crazy absolutely crazy but it's what you guys are doing with your home churches it's what you're doing with your denominations you're dividing yourself off and so you can't do that either you have to learn how to come together 
So that's an important lesson. And we talk about these things in lots of different ways in books like Covenants of the Gods. And we're going to go through a lot of the little articles. I sent the guy just a list of articles uh, that we have on the website. If you go to hisholychurch.org on the outline page, and you can actually push, what is it, uh, CTRLF, and then you know, a little search window will pop up, and you can search words like liberty. And you'll see our articles, liberty is a choice, real destroyers of, of liberty, decline of freedom, uh, the foundation of tyranny, law, laws, loves, and liberty. Uh, Romans 13, the higher liberty. And of course we have a book called The Higher Liberty, which you can read free online. This is a church, not a commercial enterprise. We give all this stuff away. The liberty to tax. And the, why are we talking about taxes when we're in church? Why are we talking about government when we're in church? Well, we're preaching a kingdom. And the nature of the government you seek, the way in which you seek to be governed, has a great deal to do with your moral characters. So we're going to be talking about government. Now, you can go do anything you want. We're not political activists. We're not telling you to elect this guy or that guy. We're telling you to elect to follow the ways of Christ. Start taking care of yourselves. Start taking care of your neighbors through faith, hope, and charity. This is what we're talking about. And uh, the guy who didn't have the patience to read down to the end, like I said, he's probably not going to have the patience for the kingdom of God. Because it takes a lot of patience. Because most of the people aren't going to keep up. Like the sheep that was injured that I talked about earlier that had been bit by the bobcat. Those other sheep that stayed with them, they wanted to go back to the herd. They were white-faced range sheep by nature. But they also didn't want to abandon that one sheep. And he just couldn't keep up. He wanted to go back to the herd too. It wasn't like the blackface that were always going off and looking to fill their own belly. Just looking for a little bit better grass thinking they could find some place better. Because that's what they had learned being a farm flock for years. They they learned that you had to go to all the corners of the field. The, the, the herd wasn't the essential thing. That, that it was filling your belly and getting the first one to feed. You know, when the... If they come... If we used to have them pinned up sometimes a little bit later in the day and they didn't... Didn't always get out if you had blackface, which we had at the beginning. We had a, a lot of, of these blackface suffix, uh, hemp type crosses, and uh, we've wised up as shepherds. You, we don't want those. You can't have those on the range. But they would always be running ahead, trying to get the first grass, trying to get the first grass, trying to get the first grass, and leaving the herd behind, even leaving their own lambs behind. That's what we see going on in the world today. Where is the family? Where is community? It's devastated by your progressive socialism. It's devastated and will continue to devastate itself. And there's nothing you can do about it except repent and turn around and start forming a community that's actually taking care of your social welfare needs. How do you do that? You start with homeschooling. 
great place to start. Oh, you don't have any kids? Help somebody else homeschool. You must have something you could teach, share, be there for them. Get together. Pick a minister. And we're going to talk in our next show about uh, people like Boaz. What he did. What were they doing? What were the messages of this? Ruth and Boaz. And we'll, we'll go through some of these things. What was going on at Pentecost? What was going on with this Corbin of the Pharisees that made the word of God to none effect? Well, it was a social welfare system. As simple as that. So how can, how can you do something different? And we're, we're going to start going through a lot of our different articles and, and start uh, kind of creating a little accompaniment with them to help explain this. But most important, you have to come together. So how to do that? I'll tell you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the Kingdom of God. In the last show, we talked about uh, the book Higher Liberty. We talked about the book Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions. We talked about the book Thy Kingdom Come, and we talked about the patience required in seeking the Kingdom of God and His righteousness. Those books are there, audios are there, files are there at hisholychurch.org that you can download for free and listen to and contemplate. But you can study and study and study and study and search and search and search and search. It doesn't do you any good unless you start doing something. You cannot fold the gift of your life up in a napkin and expect God to be pleased. You have to become a doer of the Word. And so that's why we've created the Living Network which is an email network, yes, but if you get on there uh, and contact people, and uh, hopefully we'll start creating more and more ways in which you can contact. So even people who are not online <laughs> can start to connect to others because I'm way out here in the wilderness. And for some reason, you know, I can remember page numbers of books I read 20 years ago. And I can, I can remember that. I can't remember verse and chapter in the Bible. Amazing. I can remember the words. I can remember, you know, what was said, but somebody's... You know, a lot of people go around and they say, you know, like John thirteen sixteen or Romans 13 or, you know, and they, and I got to, well, those I can remember. But uh, 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 for the most part, I don't think of the numbers. They're not in the original text. <laughs> I don't think with that part of my brain. I, th- I I think with the part that thinks in concepts and precepts. And so I understand the precepts. I can remember the words, but I don't remember the numbers. So, I also don't remember names of people. I have a real, I remember people, but I don't remember their names. And so, I am the worst person in the world to depend on if you're going to call up and say, Hey, I'm Steve from Albuquerque. 
I may or may not remember Steve from Albuquerque. <laughs> I remember you and I see you, but I don't necessarily remember your names. I'm bad at that. And that's good because it forces us to create a network. Because I'm not going to keep track of you. There's a lot of people, when we started the Living Network on on uh, the Internet uh, we started this idea of picking your personal contact minister. We call them PCMs. And all it is, is it's the buddy system times 10. We wanted you to connect with somebody. And uh, that somebody would agree to try to keep, you know, as many as 10 people connected. And it's all based on geography. So you're, we're trying to get you in local areas, uh, connected with other people in your area. And for what purpose? To seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I'm the one of a voice crying in the wilderness. I'm not in Houston. I used to be, but I'm not. I'm not in Omaha. I used to be, but I'm not. Now, I've gone and visited these things in what we call the whirlwind tour. But uh, I'm not going to be there for you. Christ is there for you. And if Christ is there for you and Christ is in you, you will be there for your neighbor. How do you know who your neighbor? That's a big question we always get. Who's my neighbor? And of course, Christ got the same question. What were the early church doing? They were forming congregations of ten. Why? Because ancient Israel formed congregations of ten. Ten families got together. So why do PCMs are supposed to be the minister who ministers their contact with ten people? So that those people can form congregations. And what's a congregation? I mean, that's a big question. That's an important question. We throw out these words and we think, oh, I know what a congregation is. Well, do you? What was a congregation? The, the tents of the congregation. The, uh, the tabernacle of the congregation. What, what does that mean? Well, there's numerous words that could be translated in congregation. But basically, when we're using the word, most of the time we're talking about Ten families gathering in a free assembly. Not in a free association, a free assembly. That's ten families. A family is a unit created by God. Husband and wife. Institution created by God. No more twain, but one from the beginning. Okay? The institution of the family. God has given me this son. God has given me this daughter. It's only God there. But now you can invite others into this relationship and they can even, you can invite them in with an exercising authority and usually you do this by selling benefits like Esau sold his birthright for a pot of red porridge. Another whole story about why is that red porridge? What is that? What's the red mean? (laughs) Uh, Well, that's a secret we'll deal with on another day. But the point is, is that the institution of the family is an institution of God originally. And if you want to know what it's become, you can go look up Holy Matrimony versus Marriage in the book, The Covenants of the Gods, and read that. Or listen to the audios on that. But we're not going to deal with that now. We're just talking about that institution of the family. How does that family, a free creation or institution of God, come together with other families without diminishing the rights of that family? Because rights are granted to you by God. You don't want to just give those rights away. You want to maintain those rights. Because those rights are responsibilities. And you're a diligent person seeking the righteousness of God. Therefore, you want to be diligent in the exercise of your responsibility and your therefore your rights. 
Okay. So how do you gather together? You just come together in a free assembly. But there has to be some sort of agreement, a record. I mean, it's like planting a garden. Now, if you're going to plant a garden, okay, you got a bunch of garden seeds. And uh, there's this 40-acre piece of ground out back, and it's kind of all plowed up. You know, maybe buffalo came through, and they really plowed it up. And there's all kinds of manure all around and everything. And seeds naturally want to put themselves under the ground. And so maybe you've, maybe you've dragged it with a harrow or maybe you even dissed it and you go out there and you're going to plant the seeds. So you just take all the seeds and you put them into one bag and you go out there and you just throw them out everywhere in the field. Now, actually somebody down in Australia who started inventing this method of gardening and it does work, but it takes a lot more seeds because things aren't going to come up right. Seeds are going to be mixed. Seeds are going to be all over. Now, if you haven't paid attention to cross-pollinating, you won't be able to get your seeds out of your garden because, you know, things will be cross-pollinating and mixing up and all that kind of stuff. And it's not practical. Now, it it works. just takes a lot more seed. It may not work perfectly in your area because some species just aren't going to make it. But there's another way to do it. And that is that you make rows and you plant things in rows and and everything's a nice straight row and all that stuff too. But there's a mix of both of those where you look at the terrain of your garden and you plant certain things in certain places and you do things like they call companion planting because it's well known that certain plants do better with each other. And so you do that and you plant some things closer to the shade and you plant some things first so that they'll shade out other things that like the shade and don't like direct sun and you plant other things where they'll get direct sun because they like direct sun and and that's called dressing and keeping your garden. And of course that was the first job given to Adam and Eve to dress it and keep it. So it's not just helter-skelter throw the seeds out and let them find their own way. It's actually there's a system to it. And it's the same way in forming your congregations. That the congregations gather together with the mind of Christ. And so certain people will gather together and certain people will do certain tasks within a congregation. But they have to figure out how to do this because they're guided by Christ, not by some man who is pretending to be their God and rule over them. They say, you have to do it this way. You have to do it that way. They're saying, well, they could say, you could do it this way. You could do it that way. You know, mostly people are upset with me because when they ask me, how should we do this? And I says, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I'm always putting it back in their life because I'm not, I'm not raising children. I'm raising adults. I'm raising people who uh, need to stand alone but know how to do that together without stepping on the toes of anybody else. It's the dance of the congregation. Can you dance as a congregation? That's one thing we didn't do at the festival. We may do that next time. We may do some line dancing so that we learn to move together. We could do all kinds of things. But we need a lot more of you to come next year. And uh, and then it will be even more fun than it was this year, which is hard to believe because people were laughing all the time. One person was... Uh, uh, saying that if you laugh, your body becomes more alkaline. And an alkaline body has a tendency to be healthier. So every time we were all laughing, I says, boy, we're getting more alkaline every minute. You know, so that was uh, that was kind of a little fun thing that was kind of always going around because there was lots of fun, lots of laughter, lots of good uh, 
camaraderie and uh, hopefully we'll take back some of the blessings that we receive in these meetings to our local communities and it will grow. But the point is is that we have to realize that this uh, whole thing with this uh, kingdom of God which is what we're preaching, this voice of one crying in the wilderness. I mean, that's what John the Baptist says he was, and I guess I've I've kind of become that same thing. <laughs> if you go into uh, Matthew 3, verse 1, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, preparing ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, it's a funny thing. I live in Summer Lake Valley, and a number of people have taken pictures of here, you know, across what is called Summer Lake, which is like the Dead Sea. It's a salted sea, inland sea. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of water in it because the government's been holding back the water and not letting it in. A lot of people are up in arms about that. But still, if you take a picture across that Salton Sea, the Summer Lake, uh, to the mountains on the other side, I, they, people have held up pictures in uh, Israel looking across the Dead Sea to the hills on the other side. And you can't hardly tell the difference between the two pictures <laughs> unless you know exactly the markers they look for. Uh, they look very much alike, very, very similar. And, of course, all the trees that grow in, in uh, Israel that are mentioned in the Bible naturally all grow out here in Oregon. And, but we're just out here in the desert, and we're up near a spring, uh, and a spring is what we call it here, and uh, it's fresh water. And we'll take you down there and we'll baptize you into that if you want. But we want you to repent and get baptized. We don't want you to be pretending to be baptized. And uh, you have to actually repent. And repent of coveting your neighbor's goods. Repent of non-forgiveness. Repent of uh, all the things that come with people who enter into that bondage of Egypt and end up making their instruments of war and taking their sons and daughters, the sons and daughters of your neighbor, and forcing them to run before the chariots of these instruments of war and putting them in harm's way so that you can have more and more and more and more and more. So you can pretend to be safe and safe and safe and safe. And actually, you're you're making yourself more in danger and danger and danger and danger, <laughs> if I may put it so bluntly. But anyway, in those days, there came this voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And that's what we're talking about. Stop coveting your neighbor's goods and pretending that you believe in Jesus. Because Jesus said you weren't to be that way. And the same, and the same John had his raiment of camel hair and leathern girdles about his loins and his meat was locust and wild honey. And actually his meat wasn't locust. Uh, if you if you look in the Hebrew, uh, you'll find that the Hebrew word for uh, carob uh, looks like the Greek word for locust, and you know, it's it's a mistranslation. There's a mistake. Uh, he wasn't eating bugs. Uh, that would that was not 
uh, a kosher food to eat bugs. But the same word that we see uh, for this locust uh, is the same word for the carob bean, which is what a lot of them eat. And it's kind of like chocolate. Uh, not a sweet chocolate, but if you mix it with honey, it kind of is. And uh, uh, he did eat that. And uh, that was a very common thing to find amongst the Essenes. And, and it appears that John was an Essene. And then what's an Essene? There were lots of different kinds of Essenes. But anyway, he was baptizing people in the Jordan. Now, baptism wasn't new. They had done it at Sinai. They had a laver out in front of the temple. But he was doing it in the Jordan. He wasn't safe in the temple. Just like Jesus wasn't safe if he went to the temple. Because these Pharisees and Sadducees had taken it over. And they were a generation of vipers, he says who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And that's what I'm doing. Is You've created a system where you are now ruled by a generation of vipers. And there's bad things coming, and bad things did come. It didn't come before Christ came, but it came. I mean, there were bad things happening. There were the riots already because they were pilfering the social welfare system. They had built an aqueduct and there was a riot. Men ended up dying. And actually Pontius Pilate was a part of that. And he repented of that. You know, Pontius Pilate eventually became kind of a good guy, believe it or not. Repented and probably became one of the more fervent Christians. But Jesus said he was going to take the kingdom away from those who had it. And he was going to appoint it to those who would bear fruit. And we see John saying something similar. Bring forth therefore fruits... Meat for repentance. In other words, you had to change your ways. You had to bring fruits another way. And that way was faith, hope, and charity. He talks about that. And think not to say within yourself, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Abraham was the man of faith. Uh it was a man of faith. He lived by faith. He didn't live by the way that all the other city-states were operating. All those other governments were setting themselves up. He lived by faith. And this is what his altars were. And if you want to know more about him, you'll just have to read the book, Thy Kingdom Comes, or some of the articles. It's all on the net in several different formats. And you can read it at our website. But the important thing is, is that you start repenting yourself. Start turning around. Start looking the other way. Start going the other way. Because that's what you're called to. That's what repentance is all about. So if we, we go back and we look at the fact that, uh, as we've looked in previous weeks about uh, things like uh, uh, constitutions and all these things, that, that that is really not your salvation. The salvation is in Christ and the ways of Christ. And those ways are straight and they're along a certain line. Now, I promised that we would talk a little bit about Boaz, uh, the show. And uh, that's what we'll do. And if you go back to Ruth 3.18, it says, And said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. Now, just to set you a little background, Ruth was uh, uh, a Moabite and uh, she had married an Israelite who was living there. There was two brothers at least and a father and and uh, her mother-in-law was this uh, Naomi. 
and she was living there, and both sons ended up dead. Now, exactly how, we don't know, but it appears from everything that I've studied that they were actually put to death. And they both had wives, but they never had children by those wives. And Israel, whenever you'd marry a woman and you would die before she gave birth to a child, it was usually the responsibility of the nearest relative to marry her, the nearest unmarried relative to marry her, so that she would have children and they would count those children as heirs to the fortune of the husband. Because she didn't inherit simply because she married him. She inherited because she had his child. And so therefore she was an inheritor with her child. Common thing in law. And the Bible is mostly about law. So it would be important for her to get married to another Israelite. But they weren't in Israel. They were back in this foreign country. And Naomi was going to return to her home in Israel. And one of the daughters went back to her homeland. And, and Naomi freed her to go back. Because she had no children. And uh, she would probably get married to somebody else and have a child. And that's the way it was. Family was critical. It was part of society. That's how societies are born, is out of the wombs of our daughters. So anyway, but Ruth wanted to go with Naomi. Because she saw something in the teachings of Israel, which most people don't understand today. And the modern Israel doesn't follow the teachings of Moses in almost any way, shape, or form. For the most part. I mean, their government. I'm sure there are people in there that are trying to. But their government doesn't. And we could go through that whole list. And if you... If you want, get a hold of us on the network and ask us these questions and we'll answer them in future shows. But uh, anyway, the uh, point is is that she went back to Israel. And there was this where she was a widow and she was gleaning in the field and evidently she was a fairly attractive woman and they owned some property. Naomi's family owned property. Her husband also was dead. And so... They uh, had some wealth, but they didn't have a lot of servants or anything. But they could glean in the fields according to the law. In other words, take the extra leftover in the fields for themselves. And this is one of the ways in which they provided. It was kind of social welfare, but you had to do something. And uh, in order to get it, you had to go out and actually collect the grain. And so she was doing that. And uh, some people wanted to marry her and have her fields and all her property. And uh, and they were related to her. But there was this one fellow, Boaz, who really wanted to marry her and was meant to marry her. And so he wanted to resolve this issue because he wasn't the closest kinsman. So he didn't have first right. And so we see in the next chapter, it starts off with, Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold... The kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. What was he doing with those ten men of the city? that were to sit down and resolve this issue. What what was going on there? This was a matter of law. Who had the right to marry Ruth? Who was to inherit all this property? 
and and uh, one might be interested in the land, but of course Boaz wasn't interested in the land. He was interested in Ruth. He saw something in her. He was led by a spirit in him to seek her as his wife. And but he didn't have first claim because she was married to. Uh, Naomi's son and therefore the closest relative had the responsibility and therefore the right to marry her of course she could refuse him but in those days there wasn't much other social welfare than family so that was very important to not refuse him and so anyway here he is looking for these ten men of the elders of the city were these just any elders of the city walking by well, they could have been, but probably not. They were probably the elders of a local congregation. When we see the word elders in the New Testament, we see it translated from the word presbyter, which means elder or head of a family. The oldest male head of a family was usually considered an elder. Now, occasionally they would be the oldest female head, but uh, then they would use like a... Uh, uh, nephew or, or cousin or somebody like that. Who was the eldest of Jesus' family when he went to get baptized? Well, the eldest male head was probably John the Baptist at that time. And that's probably one of the reasons why Jesus went to him to get baptized. And the fact that he went to him to get baptized is another whole thing. But we'll have to go into that at a later date or we won't get this subject matter covered. There's so much we're not being told. So much that we have been misled about. And it all has to fit. And that was one of the things when I was in the seminary. It wasn't all fitting. It wasn't all coming together. And I was asking these questions. Well, if this is so, why is this so? And they just kept sweeping it under the carpet. And it wasn't until I come out here in the desert and started asking these questions of God that I started getting the answers. And, you know, I asked... uh, I I told them I couldn't figure it out. And law books came to me. (laughs) I thought the last thing I thought I needed to read was law books. Stacks of them. Stacks of them. And I started reading them. And then I went back and started looking at the Bible. And then he said, look at the language. And look at this word. And look at this word. And I'm discovering, oh my gosh, we've been misled. And by being misled, we were able to accept damnable heresies that we should have never accepted. And we did. And hopefully now we're turning around and going another way. And that's what we need to do. Is go this other way. So anyway, he said... He took ten men of the elders of the city. That would be the heads of families. And not some appointed office that exercised authority over other families. But if you if you were the head of a family, you were an elder, period. No one appointed you an elder. You were elder by circumstances. They might appoint an elder to a particular job and say, Hey, well, you're an elder. Why don't you do this? And this is what he was doing. He took ten elders and said, I, I need you to resolve a situation here. And he said unto his kinsman Naomi that is come again out of the country of Moab selleth a parcel of land which was our brother uh, Emma Elimelech. And I thought to advertise thee saying buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. And now you have to also understand that he couldn't sell land and everything. And really what he was trying to do is get this guy to give up his right to marry Ruth 
and eventually he did and, and they have a symbol where he takes off his sandal and he and he gives it away and that means he's giving away that right you know because rights uh, possession is a position of the foot and so that's why it's associated with the sandal and it's another whole thing and we just don't have time to go into all that but the point is they had these ten elders these ten elders that were deciding fact and law this was a jury ten elders deciding what was right and what was wrong in a social setting and they had to be called up and given that right to decide based on the, the appeal of the kinsmen and Boaz. This was a court that they were having. And those ten men were probably the elders of his local congregation. Because you have to remember, Israel was divided up into ten family congregations from the beginning. And that wasn't the first time that such a numerical thing took place. And if you had ten families and they picked a minister, that's eleven elders. And if that elder picked a minister with nine other men like himself, those twelve men are going to sit on a jury. And the eldest man there, I mean, not the oldest, but the, uh, the minister of the minister would literally be the foreman of the jury which would all you would need you don't need any other judges the only other judge you have there is God himself because these men are going to decide fact and law and this is how they settled disputes this is how they settled matters of law who was right who was wrong who should who should get the cow and who should get the <laughs> this or whatever the situation is and it had been that way for centuries and centuries and centuries. Now people forget about that and they start appointing gods, judges, to rule over them. And by giving them that power, on a day-to-day basis, they become power mad. and Power corrupts. If you give men power, you corrupt them. You should be ashamed of yourself for giving men such power. It's a rejection of God every time you do that. If you go back to... You know, we talk about the voice in the wilderness. After the break, we'll, we'll talk about the voice of the people and what they did and how bad they were in doing that. And what a rejection of God they were making when the voice of the people spoke. Have you been speaking like the voice of the people? Well, we'll find out when we get back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we were talking about Boaz. We were talking about the elders that he summoned up to satter a fact and law at the city gates. When they talk about being at the city gates, they may not have been actually at the city gates. Uh, it's a very interesting story if we go back and we talk that we would talk about the voice of the people. And... Uh, uh, where and I have some articles up on the web about the voice of the people and was actually published uh, with newsviews.com which I also have stuff written there uh, and I should have a lot of it because I've been so busy and if you, you want to support this ministry that's up to you you see we're, we're the government of the people for the people and by the people and the choice of whether you want to support 
the efforts of people to show you a way to govern yourselves by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty is completely up to you. It's between you and God. Because I will not rule over you. I and my family, we will not rule over you. I'm not going to run for a political office. (laughs) I don't want to exercise authority one over the other. I don't have any interest in doing that. Uh, And why would I not have any interest in doing that? Because it's just in my nature. Uh, Never was in my nature to do otherwise, as far back as I can remember. But it shouldn't be in your nature. Uh, It shouldn't be in any of our natures to do that. And yet, it is in the nature of some to do that. And the funny thing is, is the very people that it is in their nature to do that uh, are the ones that you give power to. So, I always say, if you if you create offices of power, men who seek power will seek that office. And men who seek power want what? More power. And they will seek more power. And that's why people like Patrick Henry was so opposed to the Constitution. If you read Contracts, Covenants, the Constitution, you, you will see some amazing things, that, well-documented things in history you just weren't taught in high school or college. Patrick Henry opposed the Constitution, saying that this document was written as if good men would take office. When bad men take office, they will steal your rights to ambuscade. And that's exactly what's happened. I always say that he was more of a prophet than any than anything else, and he certainly was. But the the point is is that uh, uh, this voice of the people very interesting. Hearken now unto my voice; I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to God word that thou mayest bring the cause unto God. Now, that's way back in Exodus 18.19. Are you bringing your matters before God? Before godly people? Before people who want to be ruled by God? Are you bringing them before people who want to be ruled by other men? And then you wonder why you don't get justice? Are you kidding me? What do you expect? You went to the wrong people. You have gathered with the wrong people. You have made agreements with the wrong people. If you go down to 1 Samuel 8, uh, verse 7. And, you know, we just talked about the, those ten family congregations being literally the foundations of jury trial. Settling matters of, of law. And it used to be when my father was an attorney down in Texas, he was always quoting precedent. That's other cases by other juries who decided a case this way or decided a case that way. And they said, this is much like what we're doing today. And so they decided this way. Why are they telling you what other men decided? Is Because you had the right to decide fact and law. And everybody in America, everybody in the jury systems had that right for most cases up until about 1910 or 1911. And that right has diminished more and more. You're basically, you're not in, even though in many of the constitutions of many of the states in the United States, they actually wrote in that the jury has the right to decide fact and law. Today, they will tell you in in jury preparation that contrary to what some people believe, juries do not have the right to decide the law, but only the facts of the case. I'm quoting right out of the one here in Oregon. 
And I have a really interesting series of letters that I should turn into an article in my spare time. And I would have more time if we had more support. But we don't have much support. That's because the truth is not real popular these days. But anyway, uh, you don't have the right to decide fact and law in most of your jury trials today. And you don't understand why. It's because you're not at that kind of law. You're at a different kind of law. You're at Roman civil law. Civil law, Roman law, Roman civil law. Even in your criminal cases, you're not really dealing with that original law where the jury had the right to decide fact and law. And and some judges know it. They're just not going to tell you. Like the one judge I wrote, he says, I can't tell you. But he knew who could. Court administrator. That's who he sent me to. Gave me her name and her telephone number and her address and said she could tell you the answer to your question. Why? Because you're in administrative courts. Face it. But that's where you're at. And the reason you're there is because of the voice of the people. And what does it say in 1 Samuel 8, 7? And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto you, unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, meaning Samuel, they have rejected me, meaning God that I should not reign over them. This is when they called for a king. They wanted to have a king to reign over them. You know, and I repeat these things so many times. But again, you know, so did John the Baptist. You know, repent, make straight the way of the Lord. But we are getting lots of new listeners, and so you need to, to hear it again. And there's not... It, You've heard the lie so much. Every chance you get to hear the truth, you should take it. Even though it's repetitive. Christ was repetitive too. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. Because they wanted a ruler who could exercise authority and make things right and straighten out the corruption they could see through their court system. What was their court system? What if you didn't get a fair deal from those ten elders and that minister and that minister of ministry, those twelve men? They didn't give you a fair deal. They didn't listen to you. They decided based on prejudice. And injustice was going to be done based on what they decided. It could happen. It could happen. If that was the totality, who would you appeal to? And we don't have time to go into all of who you would appeal to, but basically you would appeal to the cities of refuge. And they say cities of refuge. And you you think they mean some place that they go to. They run to this town. All the criminals run to this town. Ah, quick, we got to get across the desert, get to this town, and we'll be safe. That's your imagination. That's not what they were doing. They were appealing to the cities of refuge. What, what, what's this word city? Did you know that the word city in Hebrew is the same word for terror? Anguish? <laughs> it, well, it, was, it was a citadel. It was, a, it was this other thing. Way back when we, we see this, talking about this, he sends them back to their tents when they ask for a king. And then he consults with God. And we'll talk about what he what he heard from God. We, we always should go through that. It, it, it's, it's quoted extensively in the, in the book Common Sense by 
uh, uh, Thomas Paine. He, he quotes the Bible extensively in there and specifically these quotes. Why? He's talking about religion. We certainly should be able to talk about government. Just recently, uh, 1,500 pastors sent their their sermons to the IRS because of the restrictions put on them by the IRS about speaking about government matters. And, and many of them, I would probably think, really shouldn't be saying the things that they're saying, but I won't exercise authority over them. But I would tell them if I saw them, you, you shouldn't be trying to elect a different Caesar. You should... You're the ones that are supposed to be saying there is another king, one Jesus. So why are you trying to meddle in Caesar's government? If you have a right to meddle in Caesar's government, then Caesar has a right to meddle in yours. Problem is, your church is not your government. Because you haven't been preaching the kingdom of God for years. You're saying that the kingdom of God isn't at hand. That you had to wait 2,000 years. But we were told to go and preach that it is at hand. It's just not like the governments of the Gentiles. It's different. We're the benefactors who don't exercise authority. And that's what your church should be. So that if you have a problem, you should be able to go to your church and to these elders and say, I've got a problem, help me. And they would help you because God is in their heart. And they, they're they seeking righteousness. They don't want you to have to go to the benefactors to exercise authority because they know they'll bring you back into the bondage of Egypt. Now you're already there. You have to learn the other way. You, you've been walking the crooked way. Now you've got to walk the straight way and turn around and really start helping one another. And you can't do that unless you gather together. So anyway, according to all the works that they have done since the days that I brought them out of what? Egypt! Where 20% of everything you earned went to the government and they took care of your welfare by providing you with what you needed. In the case of famines or dearths or whatever. Depressions. Even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods. What are these other gods? You go read God's Many on our website. And you'll find out. And you'll be shocked. And some of you will weep. And you should weep. But maybe that weeping will bring you to repentance. Now therefore hearken unto the voice, their voice. Howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people and asked that asked of the, him a king. All the people that asked of him a king. All the people didn't ask for a king. All the people that asked, he told. Now, I was telling you that he had told them when he went and consulted with God before God gave him this message to give. He said, go back to your tents. When he was all done and they said they wanted to have a king anyway, he said, go back to your cities. When Rehoboam, they came to Rehoboam a couple generations later after David and Solomon, Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. And they said, Rehoboam, we want our freedom back. We want to be free again. We don't want to have this exercising authority benefactor. We want to go back to the old ways. Which none of you hardly even know. He said, go back to your cities. And I'll think about it. He thought about it and decided, no, my father whipped you with whips. I'm going to whip you with scorpions. I'm not giving you your freedom back. And they said, what is David to us? And they went back to their tents. They didn't go back to their cities. They went back to their tents. There's a huge message in that. You miss it. 
with your modern ministers. They don't understand. This city is in a place. It's a jurisdiction. When you flee to the cities of refuge, you flee to the jurisdiction of refuge. The appeals courts. The Levites. Who were also forming congregations of ten. And picking a minister. And servants of servants of servants of servants. These are not offices of power. These are offices of service. These are titular leaders of a nation. Operating by faith, hope and charity. And the perfect law of liberty. Is that what you're doing? Because that's what Christ was preaching. Oh I know a lot of you can disagree. And sit in your house safely and disagree with me. But we got the proof. We'll show you. But you're not going to believe because I prove it to you. You're going to believe because Christ opens up your heart and you see there is no other alternative but to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. To follow the gospel of Christ, there is no other salvation. But you have to actually seek it and do it and be it. And He said, This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, to be his horsemen, And some shall run before his chariots. In other words, he'll institute a draft. Why does he institute a draft? And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties. And he will set them to ear his ground and reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters and to be his confectionaries and and be his cooks and to be his bakers. In other words, to serve him. Does your daughter work in a, in a bakery shop? For the first two hours of the day, maybe three hours of the day, she's working for the king. Everything she earns will be sent to the king. Her employer won't keep the value of that labor, neither will she see it. It will be sent to her king because she's in the bondage of Egypt because that's what you've gone back to. And you deserve to be under such tribute because you've been slothful in the straight ways of Christ. You haven't come together like those sheep in the field. You know, their brain's not as big as a softball. And they figured it out. What's wrong with you guys? You need to gather together. You need to come together. You need to seek to come together. You need to help others find each other. You need to have some of you stick your head up and go, Bah! This is the straight way of God. This is the way that Christ taught us to be. But you elders have to come and sit down together and judge fact and law. Contribute in righteousness to the kingdom of God. Support your ministers. Support support the, the ones that are really doing the job. That's the beautiful thing in a free assembly. The power to give is always with you. In the assemblies you guys live in now, if you don't get the right president in there, which you probably won't, or the right prime minister or whatever country, it doesn't matter what country you're in. It's the same principle. The right leader who exercises authority one over the other, he's going to take more and more and more and you're going to have to pay it. Because you're in a tribute. You don't, get, you don't have a right to decide. Oh, I don't think I'll give that much this year. Because he doesn't have. He has the wicked servants serving him. He's appointing from the top down. Who shall collect from you? And he will take your fields. And your vineyards. And your olive orchards. And even the best of them. And give them to his servants. Do you think that's not happening? 
and he will take the tenth of you. You're worried about Agenda 21. What do you expect? You're going to fight Agenda 21? Forget it. Turn around. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Start. You're going to need God's intervention. Or you won't succeed at anything. And he will take a tenth of your seed and your, your vineyards and give. If you notice, these are all he will take, he will take, he will take, he will take. You know, verse 16, he will take your manservants. 17, he will take a tenth of your sheep. And ye shall be his servant. And verse 18. And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, president, prime minister. Doesn't make any difference. Which he shall have, which ye shall have chosen you. And the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, God, will not hear you in that day. He told you. I'm telling you. You got to repent, and turn around, or you're not. Your prayers aren't going to be heard. You're going to have to start going the other way. You're going to have to stop looking to the men who call themselves benefactors, exercise authority. That means you're going to have to come together in real congregations and say, "You guys, you want to find the kingdom of God. I want to find the kingdom of God. I'm sticking with you. I know that, you know, somebody gets beat up like that sheep in the field I talked about in the last show, attacked by bobcats, chewed up." We came along and the bobcat fled, but the, the sheep was still chewed up. We couldn't carry it. But there you see Justice walking along in the video behind it. You can see there on the hind end that was probably a younger bobcat. If it had gotten to his head, it would have been dead. would have crushed his skull. But he, he, he chipped bones in the, in the hip. And the animal was hard-pressed to walk. You could see spots underneath the wool in the days to come where it had bled, but it healed. But those other two sheep stayed with him, led him back, and he followed, trying to get back to the rest of the herd. You have to do that. You have to come together with your congregations of record and say, we're going to stick this out. We're going to work. We're going to show up. We're going to settle matters. We're going to support. If you don't, get used to tyranny because God's not going to hear your prayers. Because you weren't doing what it, you've been whoring after other ways. You have been slothful. That's it. You know how many times it tells you in the Bible that God will not hear you? You don't forgive? No, that neither will you be forgiven. You don't give? Neither will God give unto you. If you don't have the character of Christ's sacrifice in you, you know, I'm not saying you have to send it to me. I'm saying you have to gather together, create your cities of refuge. Your network of ministers who are servants, titular servants of the people. You know, that's what republic means. Republic means free from things public. And your leaders are titular in name only. They don't have authority over you. They they are naked. You have to give them the covering that they need. Because you keep the rights. You keep the freedom, the higher liberty, the right to choose. You keep that in God's kingdom. But you cannot keep that without keeping the responsibility. And they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us. And that's what you have said. And you're out there trying to elect a new king. Lots of luck. How's that working out for you? I've been watching these elections for 60 years. 
it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. I mean, it's unrecognizable society compared to 60 years ago. You have to change. You have to repent. You have to turn around. That's why we've created the website, hisholychurch.org. But we have a network of ministers. We're starting to train up, starting to show. I say we're training up. God's training them. But we're just not going to tolerate the ones that aren't doing what's right. And I want the ministers out there that are listening, and many of you are listening, you're going to have to exclude those who aren't following with you. You don't have to do anything against them. But you cannot hold them up as being with you if you do not feel they are with you. You have to withdraw your witness from them. If as a matter of record they are not being forthright with you and honest with you and open with you. you who, who would you trust in their hands if they are not trusting enough with you in relationships? You have to set those people aside. Now, we won't do anything. The same thing came up with the apostles. These guys are doing things in your name or say they are, but they're not with us. They're not networking with us. It doesn't mean we don't love them. We're supposed to love the strangers in our midst. But the network, if we're going to hold people up as a part of our network, the kingdom, the apostolic kingdom that Christ appointed to his apostles, Those men need to give us evidence that we will faithfully believe that they are men of the same faith with us. We have no control over their salvation. They're saved by Christ. But they're not with us. And we have to bear witness. They seem like nice guys, but they're not with us. And I know that many of them are slow to do that. And I understand that. But it's a responsibility. And God is waiting for us to take on those responsibilities. Take back those responsibilities. You cannot have your rights back until you take on your responsibilities. And a minister has a responsibility to network with other ministers of the same spirit. And God will show you that. And He's showing you that now. But you must act upon what He is showing you. That is so critical in seeking the kingdom. Don't fold up what he has shown you in a napkin. None of it. And there's, we're dealing with an infinite kingdom, so this same precept is repeated over and over and over and over again. So if you want to get back to your own tents, to your liberty under God as a free society, you're going to have to come together and you know, get on the website. Join the network. Meet others. Whatever, you know, we had people here from Texas, New York, uh, Tennessee, everywhere. You got to come together because there's coyotes in the field. Till then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. 